It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Welcome to the podcast. He's Lauren. And he's Scott. Let's get into it. Alright, so welcome to another episode. Um, this time we are on number 91 on AFI's Top 100 American Films list, Sophie's Choice. Yes. Uh, and I've realized through these podcasts, I don't think we've introduced ourselves to people, so I'm Scott. <laughs> and I'm Lauren. Um <laughs> And uh, which you probably heard in our little intro thing, but um, now you know who we are. Yes. Um, <laughs> the uh, the reason we're doing this podcast, you know, it's been several episodes now, so we might as well kind of reiterate what we're doing here a little bit. Is mm-hmm. that we are um, going through the American Film Institute's top 100 American films of all time, um, and uh, you know, this list is a little old at this point. I'm sure there will be another. Uh, another uh, uh, version of this list coming out at some point. But for now... We celebrate in 2012. Yeah. You know, but for now, um, it's a list of movies that industry professionals, you know, people who work with film have put together and said, you know what, this is our list of the top 100 American films ever made. And so, um, you know, we thought, okay, let's sit down with it and see what we think about it. Um... You know, yeah, Scott they, uh, and I uh, keep going, sorry. Scott. Okay, I was just going to say, you know, the, the title of the podcast, Movies You Should Love, it's a little tongue-in-cheek because it always seems like when uh, you start talking to people about a movie you particularly like, they'll bring up a movie like Casablanca or Citizen Kane, and they kind of look down on you and kind of go, oh, no, this is a great movie. And you don't like this movie? How could you not like this movie? So we're kind of discussing those movies that, you know, people say you should love. <laughs> These are the movies that you should love, not... That's the ones you do. So, kind of getting into it, why they're such a big deal, why they've left a mark, why people think they're a big deal. Yeah, and, you know, also kind of going along with that, um, you know, it it also seems like um, sometimes it would be handy to have a place to figure out why people think this about these these movies. You know, um, there's movies that we watch... um, you know, and, and people will rave about them or whatever, and we don't you know, if you haven't seen them, or maybe you did see it, and we're just kind of confused about it. And this is kind yeah. of, you know, something that that we like to do is really break down what these movies are about, what's going on with them, why somebody might like them, even if we don't. Um, yeah. Or why we don't like them, even if most people do. Or, <laughs> right. you know, whatever it is. It's, 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 uh, this is a place where we can kind of do that and get that conversation going. Yeah, and so, you know, with that comes the warning that some of these movies are kind of, uh, depend on a twist at the end in a couple of episodes we're actually going to be talking about the sixth sense um and this movie sophie's choice actually hinges on a pretty big pivotal moment that takes place at the very end of the film not, and we will just, be discussing it yeah not to spoil not, anything we're not trying it's, to spoil it but it's I mean, sophie movie, it's sophie's choice and, yeah, and the, then that really is, is the twist the movie is you know over 30 years old so I think we're we're kind of beyond the realm of spoilers, and we're here to kind of discuss why this is a big deal, and the big deal really does come in that moment. So, yeah, when um, she does make her choice, so uh, we yeah, probably so <laughs> we will probably spoil that for you in this episode. And keep in mind that this is not this is not specifically just a review; it's an analysis. I think is maybe a exactly. slightly That's, different yeah. thing. So, uh, yeah. if you're looking for a spoiler-free review of a movie, this is not quite the place for it. Um, no. Um, okay, moving on. Have you seen any good movies lately? Uh, well, I can't exactly say it was a good movie. Um, I've been really busy working on another project here recently. <laughs> um, I've been uh, hired to do some, some editing on a project, so I haven't had a whole lot of movie watching time. Um, but the one thing I did do, my wife and I um, started doing some Christmas decorating around the house, and yeah. so that got us into the Christmas mood a little bit, even though it's actually before Thanksgiving as we're recording this. Um, uh, like Thanksgiving. Yes. So uh, we got onto Netflix and started looking through what Christmas movies they had, and they happened to have the uh, Robert Zemeckis, uh, Jim Carrey, A Christmas Carol that came out, I don't know, a year or two ago, whenever that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and neither of us had ever seen it, and we thought, hey, you know, this could be a fun sort of... Christmas movie to to launch the season with, uh, so we sat down and watched it, and um, you know it 
it, it was okay. I wouldn't call it a good movie necessarily, or a, definitely not a great movie. Um, it was... It, it was disappointing, I would say, to me. Um, it... It did a couple of things that it did some things right, and I don't I don't want to negate some of the things that it did. You know, I thought there was some some very interesting um, stylistic choices, and I liked a lot of the recreation of the time period and things that they did with it, um, and I liked the way they portrayed some of the characters and, and things in it. Um, but aside from that, I just I don't know that the motion capture technology that Zemeckis is doing is really working for me. You know, between this and Beowulf, um, I, personally, I think Beowulf was probably a little bit more successful. Um, a Christmas Carol seems like a really normal sort of movie to make to me. You know, it's, I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's got <laughs> some special effects in it, you know, ghosts and that kind of thing, but it doesn't seem like something that you really need to have digital actors performing. It seems like something... That, you know, that you could actually go to a theater to see as opposed to, you know, something where you're fighting dragons or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that really kind of pulled me out of this story. It's, you know, it's, it's actually a really personal sort of story. And this movie almost turned it kind of into like an action film or something. There were so many sequences... Um, yeah, where he's flying through the air. Or where he's, he's flying through the air. Becomes or like big and slapsticky. Or... Yeah, he's, he's you know, trying to get away from the ghost of Christmas yet to come and stuff. And, you know, he's shrinking. And, uh, you know, there's all of these action sequences that have nothing really to do with the larger story. And that really pulled me away from, from uh, you know, I think what... Dickens was really trying to do with the story and, and what it is kind of at its root. And kind of then on, on the technical side of it, it really um, it really struck me how much like every shot in the movie was designed for the technology as opposed to the storytelling. There were so many times where a shot would, um, you know, sweep uh, the camera would sweep around a character and like go through a handle in a door, or um, right, you know, create these shots that you couldn't get with normal camera technology. But because you can't do that, it was all very stiff and very staged. It, it's it's a very weird thing, and it just felt very. Um, It felt very uh, kind of mass-produced in a sort of way. I guess is maybe the best I, way I can do it. Or no, I, I, it. I think, and one of the big things going against it, because I, I, Kelly and I watched this, uh, I think, when it first came out on uh, DVD and Blu-ray, but um, one of the things going against it that Beowulf actually didn't have going against it is that um, there's a thousand Christmas Carol, carol stories exactly. that have been made, and so... When you sit down to watch this particular version, all you have is like, well, what new are you going to bring to it? And because you already know the story, you know it's going to be this, and it's going to end mm-hmm. with him carrying Tiny Tim, and that's the story. It's a great story, mm-hmm. but you know, like last year there was the Christmas special for Doctor Who was a riff on a Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. and, and there have been hundreds of those through film his history. Exactly, I mean, you have the Muppets, you have you know, go back to George mm-hmm. C. Scott, and earlier it's like you Patrick Stewart has been Scrooge. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of really great stories, and um, this. Yeah, like I've been kind of sad by Robert Zemeckis's um, film career in the past couple of years because um, I love him. Like mm-hmm. I love his movies. Uh, Back to the Future is may, is definitely in, in the top ten favorite movies of mine. Yeah, um, Forrest Gump fantastic. often is as well, and it's like he makes he when he makes sits down and makes a live action film, he knows how to make a fun. Mm-hmm. Live action film, romancing the stone. You know, it's like these are movies that are just a lot of fun that people should watch. And then he makes these CG movies, and the life drains out of them. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think Polar Express is the only one that I think I've watched multiple times. But even that one, to me, is you know subpar to you know anything Pixar has ever put out, mm-hmm. or um, even some of the more recent Disney movies. It's just like no, it, I mean it's good. It has some neat moments in it, but it's not great and I don't understand his 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't understand him making these movies. It's like when you make such, you've made such remarkable films, and he's always embraced technology and used technology to tell his stories better. But why abandon? I mean, when you look at the cast of that Christmas Carol, you have Jim Carrey, who does a good job with Scrooge, but you could have mm-hmm. put him in makeup and aged him if that's what you wanted to do. But then you have Gary Oldman, and you have Colin Firth, and you have, is, it, is Robin Wright Penn in that one too? She is, yes. And so it's like you have all of these phenomenal actors being portrayed by computer versions of themselves, especially mm-hmm. Colin Firth. I was like, I was astonished by how much he looked like Colin Firth without actually being Colin Firth. I was like, mm-hmm. why? <laughs> At this point, when you, when you know, when you watch a good BBC production and you see that all of those sets exist over there, they mm-hmm. have all of those costumes. Why, you know, what what is this CG retelling yeah. bringing so, to the story? To me, you know, I, I, I don't want to say that there is not um, validity to what he's doing, uh, because uh, you know, I think that there there is some valid use for the technology that he's developing. Uh, you know, doing some of these computer motion capture things. You know, I'm sure that I we agree, are. But I'm sure we are seeing that needs it. You know, yeah. like I'm, at I'm least sure. Martin's mom's required aliens and a Martian world. You know, it's like something that's being created. But Dickensian right. England, I don't know if it needs to be recreated in the computer. Right. You know, I, I think we're, that's probably the thing. I think we're probably seeing elements of it come out in um, other movies but I don't think these movies are where it really shines um, you know to me you know something like the Muppet Christmas Carol or you know Alistair Sim back in the day or you know any any of the classic Christmas movies um, Christmas Carol movies have so much more magic in them um, you know something like in, in, in Muppet Christmas Carol there's a part where um, the first ghost shows up, the ghost of Christmas past, and she's a she's a puppet, you know. But they they did this thing where she's all very, flowing and yeah, and they, they filmed her underwater, and she's just very and there's more magic in that. Yeah. yeah, it's spooky, exactly. There's more magic in that moment when you first see her than there is in probably the entire film yeah. of of this new one. So anyhow. Uh, can't that, that's kind of my take on it i would guess so how about you scott what have you um, seen anything i'm going to use this robert zemeckis segue to talk about the the last zemeckis film i haven't seen i finally saw because on netflix streaming uh which is death becomes her it's a very strange movie starring meryl streep goldie hahn and bruce willis uh he made it in between back to the future three and forrest gump um and it's clearly him having fun with technology it's him having fun with special effects it has a very uh beetlejuice kind of feel to the whole thing where it's it's a very dark comedy it's very it's kind of macabre at times um it's a kind of a strange uh take on i think society and specifically hollywood's desire to be forever young and how we worship the young and we don't want to age um Mm -hmm. I, I can't call it a good movie, but it's entertaining. Like I kind of, it takes a little while for it to get going, but once, like about the thirty-minute mark, the story really kind of kicks in after the characters have been set up, and it's it's entertaining. It's kind of a it's an odd movie. I don't need to see it again. It has one of the, maybe it has a very odd ending, <laughs> um, but it kind of makes you kind of giggle, and it's kind of dumb, <laughs> but it's it's funny. You know, it's like. Okay, well, that was a thing I just watched. Um, so I saw that, and you know, it's on Netflix streaming. If you have two hours that you kind of wanna you wanna fill, or if you're editing something, you want something going on in the background, eh, it's not bad. It's got some pretty cool effects that are that are pretty impressive, especially when you think about the time that it was being made. Um, I'm not sure how they pulled off a couple of the effects, and I was kind of impressed. Um, other couple movies I saw, we we recently rewatched Jurassic Park because it came out on Blu-ray and we wanted to see it in high def glory and it it is a perfect film. I love Jurassic Park so much. <laughs> it's like we rewatching it, you know, there there are a couple of shots where you kind of go, "Oh, look, there's CG work going on there that they, they don't quite hold up the way they did in 1993." But um 
it, oh, Spielberg just, I mean, that movie just shows that he, to me that he is a master storyteller because it starts off creepy and then they kind of give you this um, hint that you're going to maybe see dinosaurs and then you see a brontosaurus and you go, that's astounding. And then they, you see like the packs at the, at the water hole and they're all drinking. And then the, the, the doctor's like, Oh, and we have a T-Rex, but you don't get to see the T-Rex just yet. They just, he like, it's really amazing the way he staggers the dinosaur reveals in that movie. And mm-hmm. so that each set piece gets a little bit bigger with the promise of that other dinosaur that you haven't gotten to see yet that you want to see. You know, the only thing I remember being disappointed about in that movie is that I didn't get to see Stegosaurus's. Um, they saved that for the second movie, but, uh, Jurassic Park is still a great movie that I, I, I love. I just love that movie. Anyway, um, then I also saw The Trip, which uh, you and I were talking about just before the podcast started rolling. Um, British movie starring uh, Steve Coogan and... Uh, Rob Brighton. Well- yes. I was going to say, a Welsh actor whose name eludes me. Um, a funny movie. It's a really kind of a strange, funny movie that is very... Uh, I think you were telling me it's actually... They took six episodes of a mockumentary TV show and edited it into a movie. Is that right? Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's... Um, you know, I, I think it was a, a single season, uh, you know, one-off BBC type of production. Um, yeah, it's about, like, Steve Coogan, who plays Steve Coogan, <laughs> uh, gets right. basically asked by a magazine or some or some kind of news agency to go and tour the north of England and uh, eat at these... Uh, specific restaurants and diners and kind of have a travel log, uh, record a travel log and he's supposed to go with his uh, girlfriend um, but ends up going with his best friend instead and the, and it's just like this it's kind of a endearing movie about these two friends who um, they travel together and they riff off of each other and they make fun of each other they give each other a hard time but then there's this really amazing sweet bittersweet moment that I really really enjoyed when they get to a church and they start talking about funerals and um, they kind of give each other their eulogy. If they would, if they had to speak at the other person's funeral, this is what they would say. Yeah, that was a great, a great moment in it. Yeah, and I, yeah, if for nothing, I, I, yeah, I really just was like, it was a really cool moment, and it's like the whole movie kind of has that feeling of like, this is the kind of relationship men have with other men, kind of a mm-hmm. thing. It's just like we can do this and laugh at each other, poke fun at each other, and we might mock each other relentlessly, but ultimately that all comes from a place of love, and it's great, and mm-hmm. it was a, as a movie, it's a little wandery because it doesn't really have a story, per se. Like, it doesn't have, like, a, this happens, so this happens, so this happens. It's just kind of a, it kind of goes from restaurant to restaurant, location to location, and um, now that I know that it was a TV show, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that might be the way to see it if you have the choice or the option. Um, I don't have the... I don't have <laughs> access to the TV show, so I, I got this, the movies on Netflix streaming right now, so that's how I watched it. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Like, on Netflix, I, I gave it four out of five stars just because there was part of me that kind of wanted something to happen. I kind of wanted a story to kick in. And if I had watched it in, you know, 20-minute segments or 30-minute segments as a TV show, I might have forgiven that because I would have gone into it with a different mentality. Anyway, really funny, really good. I'd recommend it. Yeah, I I was going to say, I've also seen it, and I I really liked it. Um, You know, it definitely has kind of this bittersweet, you know, the characters have some depression and uh, ego issues, and, you know, it's, it's... um, it's both really funny and really kind of touching and and um, deeper than you kind of expect it to be at times, kind of from the description. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It's it, yeah. So definitely uh, one that I would recommend um, if you enjoy kind of that dry, uh, it's improved it's, yeah. British comedy kind of thing. British comedies, for the most part, I, I tend to like a lot more British comedies than I like American comedies because they have most of their comedy comes from a place of drama. You know, mm-hmm. it kind of comes from a place of rooted in reality and just like being able to relate to the characters while being able to laugh at them. And mm-hmm. so, I tend to gravitate towards that more than a lot of what we see over here. 
Yeah, I, I definitely would agree. I mean, they either they either go toward that much more real place or, or kind of that place of absurdity is, you know, kind of the yes. two, <laughs> yeah. you know, Monty Python-esque kind of thing that just pushes <laughs> right, everything right. to that edge. But, um, yeah, definitely. All right, uh, so that is some of the stuff that we have seen here recently. Uh, mm-hmm. Good, bad, and indifferent. Um <laughs> It's nothing really bad, just some indifferent in there, um, and a couple of good. Uh, So, uh, is there anything going on in the world of movies that I have not heard about or that deserves our mention? You know, there very well could be. Um, I have been, (laughs) I have been quite out of the loop here recently. I've been working on a big project, so um, I have not Uh, been keeping up with my my sources. Likewise, honestly, I. Less big of a project than you, but I've been working on a web series, and we just uh, wrapped, and I finally finished and posted the final episode. And uh, so this is my first day actually not working on it in a couple of weeks, and so I'm not really sure if there's anything worth mentioning, so we'll come back to it next week. All right. (laughs) Um, So uh, let's get on to our movie, Sophie's Choice. Um, Yes. So released in 1982... So mm-hmm. this, you know, I would have been, what, one at the time when it came out? Yeah, it's probably one and a half or two, depending on what month it came out. <laughs> yeah, so, um... Yeah, uh, yeah it, was, it, was, it was based on a novel, or yep. a book, that uh, the director, Alan J. Pakula, uh, adapted. He wrote and directed this uh, adaptation. Um, it's about a young... Uh, basically, we kind of see the whole story through this young writer from the South. He, uh, he moves to New York. Um, his name is Stingo. Um, or that's what they call him anyway. Um, and he moves to New York and he kind of, he meets these two, uh, these two people that he ends up kind of, he lives, uh, beneath his apartments, right beneath theirs. Um, you have Sophie who's played by Meryl Streep and you have, what's his name? I know it's Kevin, Kevin uh, Klein plays it. Nathan. Nathan. Yes. Uh, Nathan and uh, Sophie and Nathan's played by Kevin Klein. The writer Stingo is played by Peter McNichol, um, who I only knew from Ally McBeal and Dracula, Dead and Loving It. So it was kind of <laughs> it was kind of just funny to see him in a dramatic role. But he did a he did a great job. Um, but yeah, he, yeah, so that's- he kind of has a thankless job in this because he, you know, his character is the storyteller. Yeah. Um, it's like the least fleshed out. Yeah, but the way the story is structured, you know, the way the movie is structured is basically um, he witnesses these other characters, you know, uh, Kevin Klein and um, um, Meryl Streep, uh, basically telling him things about their lives. I mean, <laughs> his, yeah, specific, yeah, he's specific, basically yeah. reaction shots throughout the whole yeah, movie. he has a lot of reaction. And he, I mean, I kind of felt bad for Peter McNichol because it's a lot of reaction shots and he doesn't even get to narrate it even though Exactly, it's another actor doing yeah, it's like the, the narration. It's clearly an older gentleman who's supposed to be kind of reflecting back on, you know, the 1940s, which is when the story kind of takes place, um, in which he moved to New York and experienced this. Um, I will say before we move on to the rest of the story, Peter McNichol, I really liked him, but I think he was kind of the the weakest part of the story, um, just because he's playing a southerner, and uh, I didn't ever really buy his wandering accent, and it kind of bothered me the way he would kind of slip and slide out of his accent. Um, but that's yeah, a, that's a minor that's a minor nitpick for a much bigger and better movie. Yeah. So, um, getting at this movie. Uh, you know, released in 1982, I had never seen it until now. Um, I've kind of been purposely avoiding it, and and <laughs> have um, you really purposely avoiding it? Uh, to an extent, yeah. Um, you know, I, I I I knew about the choice. Obviously, there is a choice in this movie because it's Sophie's <laughs> choice. Um, you know, and I knew I knew what the movie was about, and you know, it's kind of one of those you yeah. know enough not to really want to see I, something or care about it. Yeah, um, I, I, So I'm I, glad that we're doing this so I can see it. Yeah, same here. I, I wasn't ever really purposely avoiding it. It was just really not on my radar or really in a, a place of interest just because I kind of went, oh, it's a movie about this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, so just, I, it's like I wasn't avoiding it, but like the opportunity never really presented itself where I wanted to watch it. It's, it's kind of one of those movies where, you know, I know... 
I know it's one of those you know big movies that people talk about, and it, it's been in my Netflix queue probably since I joined Netflix, and <laughs> has been accurate. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it has been uh, steadily bumped further down the list <laughs> as I keep adding new things. Um, you know, and and it's probably awful some of the things that I bumped this movie with, but um, you know, it's it's just been one of those movies because I I knew what it was about, and. Um, you know, uh, it, it takes a bit for me to want to get into kind of one of those Holocaust uh, remembrance movies because I know it's going to be a pretty heavy deal and to I get into. I didn't realize it was a Holocaust movie until I got the envelope from Netflix. <laughs> like, I, don't, I had somehow missed that detail. Um, do we want to talk about... No, let's not talk about the choice that she makes just yet. We'll get into that here in a second. But I thought... I knew that basic nature of her choice mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was what she, the choice she had to make was what it was though, like the actual true choice she made and so I was not completely prepared for that um, when it arrived <laughs> yeah so um, you know, so Meryl Streep is, is this holocaust survivor she was in Auschwitz um, yes and um, Kevin Klein is uh, you know she made it to America um, but was very uh, ill, she she had an iron deficiency and you know was mm-hmm. in very bad shape. Kevin Klein kind of found her um, and nursed her back to health, um, and mm-hmm. and they formed a relationship out of all of that. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, very early on in this movie, uh, you know, um, as Peter McNichols' character, basically, you know, the first night he's there in New York. Um, there's kind of this incident. This is maybe what five or ten minutes into the movie. I mean, we're mm-hmm. very early on, where um, Meryl Streep and Kevin Klein have this huge fight kind of thing, and and we see our first introduction to to uh, Kevin Klein's character is that he is not a good person. You know, he's he's verbally abusive and mm. you know, yelling at at Meryl Streep and. Uh, walks out on her basically, and that's kind yeah. of our introdu- introduction to our characters, and um, you know, and that that really kind of summarizes uh, these characters a, a lot in in that moment. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Nathan uh, swings both both directions. You know, when he's happy, he's very happy and big and brash and loud and exciting and fun. Yes, and very know, sanguine. Yeah, and uh, you know, but when he swings the other way, he's you know very dark and melancholy and angry and um, accusatory you know, and, and yeah. paranoid and, and surprisingly believable. I, you know, Kevin Klein brings a lot to this character that I think is is really believable about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I really no, I was really he was very magnetic, and I uh, when he first showed up, even though he was being abusive, I kind of liked him. <laughs> yeah. You know, like especially the, the first time we got to see him calm. He mm-hmm. seemed just like kind of a cool guy, and kind of went. Well, maybe he was drunk that night, or so. Maybe something mm-hmm. was going on that that we I don't, don't know. Aren't, you know, we don't know what happened, what led to that moment, kind of. Right. But as the movie kind of goes on, you kind of realize that this is going to be the trend of his life. Mm-hmm. That he's going to be either up or down. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and and then with Meryl Streep, um, you know, Sophie, she is also that character that you see at the beginning. You know, she's both incredibly strong. Um, and yet, an incredibly abused sort of person. You know, her whole life has been very abusive to her, and she's she managed. Lived, yeah, she managed to be very caring, very strong, and yet a victim as yeah. well. It's it's a very um, both of the performances. I mean, I definitely, uh, you know, I would I would take Meryl Streep's performance probably even further than Kevin Klein's. But I mean, both oh, performances yeah. are are fantastic in this movie. Yeah. And um, are probably the reasons why people remember this movie so fondly. Um, oh, absolutely! I'm, and there, I mean, there's there's a lot going on in this movie, but at the same time, it is a very simply told story. Mm-hmm. It is a very you know, it's the camera isn't doing anything super crazy. It, mm-hmm. It's not a super stylized film. It is the performances and it is the story that's being told that I think has kind of grounded it in the America film. Mm-hmm. kind of psyche where we kind of go that is a good story mm-hmm. with just, amazing performances yeah just to touch on what you said about the camera work, i mean it, it was nominated for an academy award for cinematography oh and, not, yeah cinematography is beautiful i'm just yeah, saying it's, it's like it's you don't have like that martin scorsese walking across and doing 
all of right. this crazy stuff. It's the camera's set up in very strategic places to tell the story well, but mm-hmm. um, this, yeah, and it's but it's not the camera work that stuff. makes this no. movie. Um, it, it really, you know, it really I think boils down to Meryl Streep. Her performance in this, um, you know, she plays a Polish immigrant to the to to America, um, so she speaks in broken English. Um, that changes throughout the movie. I mean, you see her early on as she's taking English classes, and her, you know, her English is significantly worse at that point than it is, yeah. you know, at other points in the movie where you see her and she's lived in America much longer. And then you also see her in flashbacks speaking Polish or German, um, and she's amazing doing all of them. Um, it's just phenomenal. I mean, this is the movie. For me, like this is my, my first real glimpse into young Meryl Streep. Like I was saying, like when I when I think of Meryl Streep, I think of more recent films, and she's not a bad actress. But I've never completely understood people's fascination with her. And when I saw her in this, I was blown away. I I understand now why people go back to Meryl Streep as a phenomenal actress because she was Sophie in this. I mean, there was no. Uh, her accent never slipped. Her, I mean, her the the emotions, everything just felt so real. It it borders on documentary at times when mm-hmm. um, you see her trying to convey what she wants to say, and it's not just an actor saying their lines. It is a person who is not accustomed to speaking English, so she's trying to. She knows the word in Polish, and she's trying to find the right word, but her accent is destroying the word that she is trying to that she is saying correctly. She has the right word, but her accent is so thick that she can't even convey a simple yeah, it's, idea. It's, it's almost like you can see her oh. making that mental that mental change between from Polish to English, you know, in her head as she's. It, it's a, it's an amazing performance. That, um, and there's a really simple scene in the library where she's tr- she's trying to ask for Emily Dickinson, mm-hmm. but she's saying Emile Dickens. Essentially, is what the uh, uh, the librarian is hearing, and it's just. I was blown away. I mean, it's such a simple scene. I mean, it's just, it's literally someone asking for a book, but I was just astounded. Just, I was like, I don't know. I could not believe it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It it was funny at that point. I was like, it's Emily Dickens. I was almost like ready to yell at the screen. Like, come on, just give her the dang book. Yeah. And the librarian's like, that person does not exist. If it did, it'd be over there, but you're, asking for somebody who does not exist you know he was just being very yeah kind of rude and whatever but very short yeah uh, you know and it's uh, that kind of brings us maybe to some of the structure of this movie mm-hmm. um you know it's a very interesting structure because the way the, the movie is framed um you know peter mcnichols character uh stingo moves into the house mm-hmm. and the whole movie is kind of framed as him telling this story about him moving and meeting these characters and his interaction with them. And, but the real story of the movie is Sophie's story. And we yeah. are, that is slowly revealed to it. It's like an onion or something. It's layer by layer. It kind of gets peeled back and it's almost all done just in like these simple conversations where, you know, Meryl Streep sits down with Peter McNichol mm-hmm. and they talk for 15 minutes on screen. I mean, yeah, and you may not even cut to anything about the, about the no. first half of the movie. There are no flashbacks. There's nothing. It's just these conversations that they sit and have. And, and it, it's interesting because uh, Peter McNichols' character Stingo, it starts off, and you really, for a moment, even though the movie's called Sophie's Choice, you think the movie's going to be about him mm-hmm. because it's the, the details they show you from like him finding the house, being shown the house moving in and he's got this huge carton and pile of spam that never comes back up in the story really mm-hmm. but it's like you see these details of like this is what he's going to be doing to live and he's a struggling writer but very quickly Sophie and Nathan take over the story and um, he is there simply to learn mm-hmm. I, I really like that scene with the spam just I thought it was hilarious because you know today it would be ramen but I like that there was the yeah, it, equivalent it was, of that it was so real, like him balancing it. I was like, I have done that with Coke. I have done that with yeah, ramen. Mm-hmm. Just that, like it, he's it's on his back, and so he's leaning forward because he can start to feel it kind of tipping too far in the back, and so he leans forward to kind of seesaw it forward. He's going back and forth trying to open the door, and he finally gets in, and of course he drops everything, and it's just like, it was great. <laughs> it was exactly. Like, like, 
that that's real. That that has happened too many times. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but kind of you get you get to the second half of this film, and mm-hmm. um, it turns it, it keeps on with the conversations, but then it turns into extended flashback sequences. Yeah. As, like we, as Sophie we, reveals more and more. We learn pretty early on that you know she migrated um, over from Poland, and you know she has no love for the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so we, see, we, we see the Auschwitz numbers on her arm, and you know mm-hmm. so we know we know that it's there's not, that history there. It's not like this big reveal that happens halfway through the movie, but that it once we get about halfway through the movie, we start exploring the backstory of all of the characters, and it kind of starts with uh, uh, Stinga learning about her father, mm-hmm. uh, who was a teacher in Poland who might have actually been a Nazi sympathizer. And it's start, things start changing where all of a sudden you kind of start realizing that what we've been presented at, to this point may not be completely accurate. We have a un, uh, an unreliable narrator. You know, mm-hmm. we have somebody who doesn't have the whole story, but is still telling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's telling what he knows, but he doesn't know the whole story yet. Right. And, and um, Go ahead. Oh, no, you go for it. No, I was just going to say, and it even goes to Sophie and even to Nathan as they tell their sides of the story, that you even wonder how much do they actually know about the things that they're talking about. At least that's kind of where my mind started to go once I realized I couldn't completely trust Stingo's uh, narration. I wondered if I wondered if uh, Sophie understood some of this, and how much did Nathan actually understand? Mm-hmm. You know, does, does Nathan know what Sophie tells? No, I mean, Sophie tells us that. She's never mm-hmm. told anybody what she tells Stingo at the end. Exactly. So. Um, yeah, and anyhow, so you kind of have this structure of everything, and um, you know, it's very interesting because I don't think that this is at all how you would make a movie today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I kind of watch it and I go, you know, what's interesting about this movie? It, you know, if you're thinking about this objectively without seeing Meryl Streep's performance and, and understanding all of that, you know, what's interesting is that she has this interesting history that culminates in this choice moment that she has. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think today we would make the film and it would be that story. You know, it would just be, you know, here she yeah, is as a child of... and here she is growing. You wouldn't have this framing story. It would just be a movie about Sophie leading up to her choice. Um, and that would be kind of the big defining moment and, and I, you know, some kind of yeah. summary of everything. I, I do see the I I do think there I both agree and disagree because I think that this, if the story was told today we would basically lose the Stingo character mm-hmm. and Sue would be dropped because I could see definitely a movie being made today of basically the, it's starting where um, Nathan and her meet and it's basically it become their story and then we kind of go forward and with them maybe on the the verge of getting married um, we start to hear some of her, you know, we understand why she's so trepidatious about starting a family and about something. I could see a structure like that where we're moving forward in time in the 40s and then going back to the 30s every once in a while to see that. But I think we would definitely have a completely different story that would not stop to sit down for 15 minutes and have two characters talk in the moonlight. Yeah, um, exactly. It would, be, it would be a constantly moving forward, active, you know, actively moving forward story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a really interesting choice that this movie does, and it, um, you know, I don't think it's a choice most movies should choose, but in this case, I think it really works. It's a it's an interesting structure, and the actors involved are just have such magnetic personalities mm-hmm. that it really, really works. Um, so I mean, that's- I guess. I guess that should really take us to the choice. Um, you know, we've hinted yeah. at it several times. So much. I mean, you. I mean, if you're, if you've watched anything, or I mean, if you're just even vaguely aware, if you've followed movies, I think you basically know that the movie kind of comes down to a decision that involves her children, two children. Um, but to get to that, you know, basically what we understand is that she's in Auschwitz. Um, she, we, we, we have understood that as the story progresses. We understand that she's a prisoner. And we, uh, we first learn that she is there with her son and that she has not seen her son in a little while because they've been separated inside the prison. And we see her at one point talking to one of her German captors saying, please, could you enlist, you know, enroll him in this program where he would be sent away to a, a German family and be adopted? I understand that 
that is a thing you have here at the camp and he looks German, please take him. And so we understand that she's doing everything she can to protect her children. And then at one point we hear that she never sees her son again, that mm-hmm. this, this commandant or whatever he uh, rank he was, um, he doesn't uphold his end of the bargain and she never saw his son again. So, um, Within the context of the film, we're left to assume that her son dies at Auschwitz as well, um, though it's never actually explicitly stated. But we get to the very end of the film, and we get to, and we the the night is revealed of the moment, <clears throat> the night that she first arrived at Auschwitz. She arrives there with two children. We discover um, a little girl and her little boy. Um, do you want to go on with this, or shall I keep going? <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, I, I think that, you know, they're, they're kind of standing there, um, you know, and she's kind of holding onto the kids protectively. They're kind of clinging to her. And, um, you know, one of the Germans comes up to her and basically, um, through a short dialogue, he, he, he finds out that she is not Jewish, that she is uh, a but, Catholic. But, yeah. And, and yeah, Polish, she's a Polish, a Polish Catholic, and so he right. kind of says, "Well, that 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 gives you a that, choice because you aren't a Jew. Because if you were a Jew, we would just, you know, separate. You know, the boys would go here, the girls would go there, and you would mm-hmm. go there. Um, but since you're not a Jew, um, you can choose uh, which one of your children you want to save. Mm-hmm. Basically, do you want the boy? Do you want the girl? Whichever yeah. one, you, whichever one you don't pick." is going to go die right now, basically. Yeah, yeah. and um, the boy looks to be about 10 years old, maybe, 8 or mm-hmm. 9, um, and the little girl is, she's old enough to be able to speak, at least able to say mama or mommy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's carrying her, so I mean, she's definitely much younger. Yeah, I would, you uh, know, I'd say maybe like 5 or 6. Yeah, she doesn't Something say like anything in the scene, but she's, um, yeah, she's being carried. Um and so at first she goes, no, I can't choose. I can't, you can't, I can't do that. You, you can't choose. He's like, well, then we'll just take both of them away. And then in a split second, she goes, well, take my girl, take my girl, take my baby. Yeah. And they as, take- as they do start tra- dragging both children away, you know, she, she has to pick one or else both children are going to be taken, basically. And so they give her back her son and they take um, the little girl away. And we see this very long, painful shot of this... Nazi soldier carrying the little girl away from her, disappearing into the night as the little girl screams and cries and calls for her mom. And um, if you don't get a little bit choked up in that moment, I am not convinced you have a soul. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was not expecting it. I knew, like I said, like I knew that going into this moment, that going into this movie, that her the decision was. She had to choose one of her own children, but for some reason, in my the, from the little bits of the story that I heard, I thought it was an immigration story. So I thought literally like she was only allowed to bring one child over for some reason, like on the boat. You can only bring one. Um, that was what I had cobbled together in my brain from all the little snippets of the story I had heard. I did not realize she was choosing to try to save her son and letting her little girl uh, go to the gas chamber mm-hmm. and uh, I, I'm going to co- co- I, I completely admit that I got I got kind of choked up in that moment I kind of I, I felt it in the back of my throat it was a it's a very emotional very rough scene that um, I think is I mean it's the reason this movie exists and it's a completely once you understand that you understand a lot about Sophie of everything you've seen up to this point and I think it's it's that scene that has you know that has captivated people for the past, you know, 40 years, 30 years, Mm -hmm. um, because it is so emotional and it's terrible. It is, it is the, you know, what would you choose? I mean, it is, it is the impossible decision. How could any parent, how could any person choose to save one person, you know, save one of their children and allow the other one to die? Mm -hmm. Um, though if she didn't choose, they both would die. And it's just like, and, uh, the wife and I, we, we discussed it. Um, kind of at length for a while after this movie and that was the one kind of cool thing that came out of this movie was what do you do with those impossible when you have literally an impossible decision put in front of you we so here in the in our first world country we have so few impossible decisions mm-hmm. you know put before us but man what do you do in that you know looking back 
when you see the whole movie, you understand that it almost didn't matter what she did because she still ended up losing both of her children. But in that moment, you don't know. All you know is that you're being confronted with the face of evil, mm-hmm. and you have to do make what's the, best. And yeah, what make is the best choice in the face of evil. Yeah. And yeah, it, it is. It's it's impossible. And um, you know, uh, you can start rationalizing things, but the thing is, she didn't even have time to rationalize anything. It was no. just a. Yeah, it's, it's not like she was standing in line knowing, at this mm-hmm. point, I have to make a decision. It was presented to her, and she had to make it then. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so it's, you know, it's kind of that haunting thing. And, and you know, it definitely makes sense when you see the rest of the movie that, you know, this is a haunted character. Um, you know, she just, she has... She tries so hard, you know, both she and and Nathan's character when when they are, um, you know, when they are when they are not in their fighting mode, you know, when they are not both down or, or whatever, right. they go over the top to have fun. They you know they they try to and that's very do true. as they you do as much just, as possible to forget. I think yeah, you don't see them just kind of sitting there over a small dinner, kind of. Laughing, mm-hmm. he takes them to the Brooklyn Bridge, and they make these grandiose gestures and toasts. They mm-hmm. they deck out the whole apartment to look like a southern antebellum, you know. Mm-hmm. On uh, a Sunday, they dress in clothes from the twenties just so that they aren't part of the normal mass of people, you know. Or <laughs> I love that scene. He's like, they all look like morons. What morning? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, it's 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 very much you know these are characters who. Um, you know they're they're trying to overcome their issues, and they've got some serious issues. Um, yeah. And they, yeah, and this this moment it comes out very naturally in the course mm-hmm. of the story. It's not like a, a Shyamalan reveal where it's like, and now you understand. <laughs> it's like it for the character she reveals it only because you have this very sincere, very sweet and loving Stingo say, "I want you to come back to me, come back with me back to." Uh, my house in Virginia and we will have a farm there and we will raise our own children because I love you Sophie and you re- and it pains her just to think about starting children another again. family you have the idea of having children and she goes like and she says you know what would you do with me he's like no you'd be perfect I want you to be the you know the the mother to my children and that that stabs her in the heart and she's like I might love you but you need a better mother for your children and up to this point you don't understand because she seems to have been a really good person when uh, she you know sends food down to Stingo she does she makes a she's a very loving nurturing person it seems Mm -hmm. um, as we've known her up to this point but once we see that traumatic moment by the train um, where she has to make her choice you understand how she has irreparably been scarred and is you know she will never see herself as a mother again. She is a monster in her own eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's it's pretty powerful stuff. Um, and kind of the more you think about it, in some ways, the more powerful it gets. It's kind of one of those sorts of movies. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's also a movie that has a lot of kind of layers to it. I mean, there's there's stuff like. Um, um, the uh, the bed holds a lot of symbolism throughout this movie. You know, there's there's a poem, an Emily Dickinson poem that is quoted mm-hmm. twice um, at different times, kind of um, you know that that pull in a lot of symbology of, of what is going on. I would say with uh, Nathan's character and with with uh, Sophie's character, and um, you know uh, the, the the characters of Nathan and, and Sophie are kind of presented to us. The very first time we meet them is because uh, you know Stingo hears things and sees the chandelier above him shaking. You know, and and the inference is that they're you know having sex up above him, yeah. and um, you know everything that happens in this movie, all the big reveals and big moments happen in a bed. You know, she she tells her secret to Stingo in a bed and um, mm-hmm. you know the it's it's very much you know a, a symbol of um, 
you know, I think of, of kind of how Sophie and Nathan, well, Sophie specifically, really deals with everything, and and um, you know, it's it's these manifestations of, of human intimacy that really helps her get through everything. Um, mm-hmm. You know, no matter if there's abuse with it or um, you know whatever, it's it's this is the stuff that helps her get through all of these, you know, her her dark past, I would say, and yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of those kinds of layers to this movie, so it's, um, you know, there's a lot to, to take in with it. And even the final moment um, is in a bed. Exactly. <laughs> the final kind of frame of the of the movie. Exactly. And it um, brings the it brings that poem back right there, right at right almost at the yeah. end, you know, and yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, because that 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 to me is almost the touching on the ending here. Now it's unfortunate it ends the way it does but it's exactly i guess the ending that would happen or it's like it's a, it's a very in character decision because you see sophie has a second choice to make which is considerably lighter um but ultimately not um that she has to make for herself at the very end where um her boyfriend nathan has gone off the deep end and is threatening to kill them because he thinks that you know she's running away with stingo and then she does and they're not sure where they're at. They're in a hotel somewhere, and Stingo, you know, says, "Hey, would you please marry me?" And then the next morning, um, she's, she's gone. Yeah, she's left him made, a note. Left a note, and basically has made a, the choice to go back to Nathan, who, um, you know, despite everything, she still kind of goes back to. It's a very, the very tried and true uh, abusive relationship, and mm-hmm. she goes back to him, and so Stingo goes back up there, and. Um, they have uh, Nathan's killed her and killed himself, and they he finds them both. Uh, they've poisoned them. He's poisoned uh, the two of them, and they are lying in bed together, kind of cuddled together in a moment of it looks like it could be a sweet kind of spooning, kind of intimate moment, but they're actually both dead, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually a very um, haunting image. Mm-hmm. Especially since it harkens back to an earlier image where they were both happy and, and kind of falling in love, and uh, exactly, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of a bookend to that moment, and um, and then that just, that's ultimately the the end of the movie. Yeah. Just on a side note, um, before we we get there, as a note to uh, all of the producers at the Lifetime Channel, um, if you were <laughs> going to portray a uh, an abusive relationship. I am a huge fan of this movie for that reason. <laughs> um, because so many times in, in movies, uh, Scott, you and I uh, have a favorite example of this, um, which is... Uh, we the, don't talk about it nearly enough. No. <laughs> the, the Jennifer Lopez uh, smash hit. <laughs> um, uh, what was it? Enough? Is that... Enough already. Enough. Yeah, enough. Yes, enough. She has had enough. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is kind of the quintessential, um, in, in our minds at least, it's the movie where that just incenses us the most it, about it, what it, is wrong with the portrayal of abusive relationships in cinema. Abusive relationships, yeah, especially the way the men are portrayed in that movie, where, like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I'm all for female empowerment. I, there are days I call myself a, um, <laughs> a, uh, a a feminist, you know. There, mm-hmm. I I am all about it. I really am. But it, it it frustrates me that when we get to a feminist type movie, so many times you have movies like Enough come out, where you have this guy who's sweet and charming, and yeah, and like, oh, he's a great guy, and then they get married, and literally the night of their wedding, he becomes an asshole. Sorry, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, it just it just happens without any. And, and this is this is what I really loved about Sophie's Choice, uh, maybe more than anything, and this is kind of a weird thing, but because there have been so many movies that have shown these relationships so badly, I think, um, you know, I, this is one of the few times in film where I can see a man being abusive and completely understand... Well, it's because um, it goes back to, I think, our kind of belief, I, at least it is for me out, and if you agree, you can chime in, um, which is, there is, I do believe that there are certain things that change when you get married, or certain things that do happen, 
as you progress through your life, as you see your role changing. If you're a, a single man, you view yourself one way, so you behave one way. When you become uh, a boyfriend, you view yourself a different way, and you might start behaving differently. When you become a husband, when you become a father, those are all stages where you might start behaving slightly differently because mm-hmm. you now see your role changing in life. However, you as a core person don't really change that much. And so when you look at somebody like this, this character that uh, Kevin Klein plays, you see you see the warning signs and you, you kind of go, well, maybe he'll change. Parts of him will, but mm-hmm. this, this... This core his, of him won't. His core, the emotional core of him is not going to change. And so while he might become happy and he might become more responsible in certain areas or he might buckle down in other areas, he's still going to have this crazy emotional... Uh, pendulum of a you know of an existence that you just have to be aware of and you are not going to be able to change that mm-hmm. and so i absolutely agree it's like it hurts you know when when i see that she's going back to him i immediately knew that it was not going to end well for anybody even if and even yet, if he didn't kill her i knew it was not going to be a happy life for her yeah. and yet this movie you understand why she might go back to him yes and that's kind of, because you can you've seen him at his best as well and you understand right. the potential of him as a person and, and and you also see how low of a how low she esteems herself mm-hmm. and so she doesn't think she deserves someone good like stingo if someone's mm-hmm. good like stingo shows up she doesn't he doesn't deserve that i'm not going to do that to him i'm a mm-hmm. terrible human being I deserve someone who's damaged like me. And even though she might not have that as a conscious thought, that is clearly what's going on. Yeah. And anyhow, I I just, I think this is one of the most brilliant portrayals of that on screen because so often it is just relegated to, um, you know, a a character who just jumps to one thing or you come in to a movie without having this complete history and you just see someone who is just horrible all the time and, you know, yeah, and, and someone yeah. continuously or you have and um, you look at your hair your, your, usually it's a, a, a female protagonist and you look at her you go why are you with him because you seem good on all these other levels mm-hmm. and you seem intelligent and all of this stuff why would you you, just, you don't believe it from the ground up exactly in this movie you believe it and you understand why these people would be together. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's a huge achievement for a movie to make. Absolutely. Um, and, and if nothing I, I, else, that is that is worth the price of admission, I would say, to this film. Yeah, I, I read a story that uh, Meryl Streep, when she auditioned, she like she got down on her knees and begged the director for, the, for this role. And when you watch this movie and you start ingesting it, you can see that this, the, the roles, especially of Sophie and Nathan, those are like, it's an actor's dream come true. It's like, it are such developed three-dimensional characters that break your heart, make you laugh, make you cry. It, it's, it's the kind of role that doesn't come along very often. Exactly. Um, anyhow, so uh, uh, I don't really have a whole lot else on it. I mean, I think that that kind of gives you a good overview of what this movie is. Uh, Absolutely. I, yeah, and I think that... Um, it's a movie that is definitely worth watching, but you need to steal yourself going in and just kind of know what you're getting yourself into because um, uh, not to steal something that you you mentioned earlier before the podcast, Lauren, but we were talking about other Holocaust movies, and there's a, there's quite a few out there, and if you were to, and it's there's other ones that I will probably watch more frequently or watch again before I ever watch this again, just because of the way this movie ends. If you compare this movie to a movie like Schindler's List, um, Schindler's List ends with this kind of challenge to you, the viewer, to be a good person. You need to be the next Schindler should that that opportunity present itself. If you're in that position, how many people would you save? Mm-hmm. This movie ends with this horrible, you know, it's a it's kind of this horrible story in life that Sophie has, and then it ends badly for mm-hmm. her, you know. And, and, so, and for Stingo, I mean, his dreams are kind of crushed, and he leaves, and he's kind of like, you know, well, just yeah, well, one he, of the thousands of awful stories of, you know, people yeah, affected and, by horror. Will he, yeah, will he ever know? become a good writer and accomplish? We don't know. We, we're yeah. left to infer that he does, because, you know, we're, I, I think he at least writes the book about Sophie, is kind of what we're led to mm-hmm. believe due to the narration. But uh, don't really know. And so, like, it leaves you 
it leaves you drained and a little bit empty by the end of it. And so it's not a movie that it's going to be a great, you know... Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't give you... Add this to my library, I'm going to watch this every yeah. year. It doesn't Probably. give you something to aspire to. And it's so... Um, it's such a depressing premise that yeah. that it's it's worthwhile to go through it once, but at the same time, it doesn't it doesn't give you any hope at the end. And no. and sometimes I'm okay with that in a movie, but something like this is so heavy that I I really wish that there was something some question that they could have asked in the movie. Um, that could have given us, you know, even if it had ended the way it did, if there was something, some kind of thing thrown to us right at the end that could have helped us a little. Talking about modern, if this movie was made today, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if the modern adaptation of this movie, her son shows up, mm-hmm. and Stingo and the son go off together in the mm-hmm. end. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like Because that, that might give you just a little bit of a, we learn from that experience, and we're going to have a better life from now on. Mm-hmm. But as it is, the sun doesn't, you know. Yeah, and it just a, kind of ends, and it's so. I mean, if if you're just a, fan, a that's life. Yeah, doesn't it suck? <laughs> yeah. Um. So, I mean, as, as if you are, if you want to see a good piece of acting, you know, if you want to see a really just a solid, well, simply told story, this is it. Um. Mm-hmm. It is. It does kind of take its time to get somewhere. Um, but if you just kind of sit down and just go, I'm going to spend some time with these three characters, um, I don't think you'll really be that disappointed. Um, if you want to see why people love Meryl Streep the way they do, um, it's this movie. You know, it's like it starts here or, you know, maybe it's Kramer versus Kramer, like you said earlier. Um, but it's it's this and it's it's really quite astonishing what uh, specifically what Meryl Streep is able to pull off in this movie. Um, and for that alone. I would recommend it. And mm-hmm. if you want a, or the other other thing I'd say, if you want a movie that kind of will challenge you to think about things and just ask some of those questions that don't have answers, if you like that, uh, this is the movie for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, that, that's pretty much my summary of it. You know, I don't know if I, you know, you get to the end of something like this and you go, did I like the movie or not? I really don't know that I liked it. I, I really, really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And I really, I'm glad I've seen it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm horribly impressed by it, but I don't know that I like it now that I'm done with it. I, I, maybe that's the best way I can summarize my feelings of it. Yeah, and, I'm glad um, I've seen it, and I can move on. <laughs> yeah. So you know, if 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 what we have described sounds like something. Um, you know that you would maybe enjoy is the wrong term, but but that you would like to see. You know, there's we'll a lot of yeah. There's a a lot of fantastic reasons to watch this movie. Just you know, happiness is not one of them. Um, <laughs> and yeah, when we look at when we look at these movies and we kind of try to figure out why they are on this list of America's best films, for me, it, this movie is all about the writing and the acting. Yes. and maybe maybe you know give some credit to the director for allowing these performances and encouraging these performances mm-hmm. but it has very little to do with that has nothing to do with technology it has nothing to do with um you know anything super groundbreaking it's yeah. just a incredible well-told story well and and i'm even going to say you know if if you're looking for a movie that speaks to to the holocaust or something like that um i do not know that this is the movie for that i mean um if if what you're focusing on is is the atrocities of the Holocaust, um, you know, I mean, I guess this this touches on it, but I mean, there's a documentary called Night and Fog, um, which is, I mean, it was made shortly after um, after everything, I guess maybe in the the fifties, and um, it, it it is significantly more disturbing and impactful than this is just because of how straightforward and shocking it is about everything and you know in just a normal sort of way it just uh you know it'll it'll tear you up in its own way um you know if you want something that's more a commentary uh you know you've got your movies like schindler's list or, or something like that that i think are much stronger commentaries on mm-hmm. 
the Holocaust and and on the options of you know what what people should be doing during those situations or mm-hmm. um, you know and, and again will, in in some ways maybe what you know what people went through in some ways um, I don't know uh, I don't feel like this is even the strongest Holocaust movie that there is but. I wouldn't say that it is but I would say it is a very um, I think the other thing it does is that it speaks to the American experience and it kind of reminds, at least it reminded me that we are all mutts here in America. We all Mm -hmm. come from the old world and we have these connections and we have these things that we, this baggage that we bring here that we Mm -hmm. don't necessarily want to bring with us, but we have to accept the fact that we have brought it because we are here. And so you have people that live upstairs from you who suffered from the Holocaust and you might not know that. And Mm -hmm. so you know, be mindful of some of these situations or some of the people who are still arriving in America today who are coming from, we don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. or the people who have lived here for 300 years, they have their own baggage that they mm-hmm. have been passing down to their generations. Yeah, you know, and, and it may not be, uh, you know, I think this this movie speaks more towards, you don't, maybe beyond some of, of the generational and, and uh, you know, immigration issues, uh, just to people at large, you don't know what motivates people you know until Mm -hmm. you really get to know someone you don't know the things that drive their psyche you don't know what horrible traumas they have in their past um you know whether it's death of people near them or you know abuse or or whatever and so just generally as you're dealing with people you know give them grace and (laughs) and, be nice to people yeah you know that i think that this movie really speaks to a lot of a lot of that you know, maybe even beyond um, the initial things that it, it deals with. So I, w- I would say so. And to me, that's uh, to me, it is worthy of being on this list. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's for some of these, these things that we're talking about right now. Yeah. You know, for these performances, for the the abusive relationship, for you know the challenge of just recognizing that the person, like I work in retail to pay the bills, and there's a lot of people who come in and they rub me the wrong way, and I want to like punch them or bite their head off, but I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know what house they just left and what person is there that's abusing them or not abusing them. Are they having a good day? We don't know this about anybody that we're running into, even our friends. So, you know, be cool. (laughs) Yeah. So next week, um, we are going to hit number 90 on the list. Vince Vaughn and... Oh, wait. No. No, that's Sweet Time. Oh. (laughs) I haven't seen this movie. Right. Um, it's it's a classic. It's a it's a uh, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers comedy. Um, so get, yeah, pretty pretty uh, big difference from what we saw today. Get ready for some dancing and some singing. All right. Um, so until next time. Until next time. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. dot